0: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help.
2: Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages.
1: Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%.
2: Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see, it stops new breakouts in their tracks It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day.
1: As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we
2: dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike.
1: Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Cara, I'm so excited about this episode. Actually, so excited that we ended up doing two episodes with this week's guests.
2: Well, it's unbelievable content that I can't wait for our listeners to take in. Carrie James is a sociologist. Emily Weinstein is a psychologist. Together, they are principal investigators at Project Zero. And they wrote a book called Behind Their Screens, What Teens Are Facing and Adults Are Missing, which is all about adolescence relationship to technology and social media. And what's remarkable about the research they've done and what they have created in this book, in this book that really everyone who's listening to this should go read because it's so fascinating. But what's remarkable is they did not go down the sort of demonizing path of here are all the ways in which screens are bad and technology is bad and bad, bad 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 bad. What they did was they said, "Here are all the ways in which these things are good. Here are the ways in which they're not good, and here are the ways in which they're sort of a third leg of the stool. In which they're simply changing." the world around us and the way our kids are interacting with one another, interacting with their adults and viewing their futures. And it's a beautiful, well-researched conversation. I can't wait for people to listen. So get ready. Here we go.
1: Hi, Carrie. Hi, Emily. It's so wonderful to have you here with us on the Puberty Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having us. We're so happy to be here.
2: We are thrilled to have you for any number of reasons, but I'm just going to jump in and start with the very first reason, which is from the world of pediatrics, as long as I can remember, we pediatricians approached screens as the enemy. And We did it for, I mean, they weren't bad reasons and there was a lot of good data to support why we should limit screen time and say at a certain age, you shouldn't have screen time and say all the bad things about all the apps that were out there. And what you two have done so beautifully is to help create the data Behind the rationale for, and then articulate the rationale for why we should not simply demonize screens. And I think that would be the very best place to start this conversation. Can you talk to us a little bit about why pediatricians like me are finally starting to understand that there are pros and cons and that the pros are actually very big? Pros.
3: Yes, definitely. So, Carrie and I have been studying teens in tech for over a decade. Carrie's a sociologist, I'm a psychologist. And over the last few years, we had this opportunity to run an amazing study with more than 3,500 tweens and teens. And we asked them a lot of questions about what it's like growing up with technology, what's amazing, what's hard. And what we were hearing felt really different from even just a few years earlier and frankly stopped us in our tracks, even though these are issues we think about all the time. There is so much that we heard that adults are missing, and that is leading us to miss the mark in our supports. And this is really important because there are actually a lot of areas when it comes to tech where kids and teens need support. So Carrie and I became obsessed with the idea of figuring out, how do we bridge this gap? How do we help adults do that? And with that frame, honestly, There's huge practical value in checking our assumptions and being open to the positives, the fuller spectrum of their experiences. We have found that one of the magic keys to opening conversations about social media challenges is actually asking first about the positives. So whenever we're doing these conversations with teens about tech, about tough stuff, we actually start by asking what are the best parts about growing up with today's technologies or smartphones or social media? What do you love? And we really pay attention to things like what makes kids laugh, what activates their interests, when they feel understood or seen or connected. And we don't discount what they say about things like deepening friendships, because all of this is interesting. It builds our own understanding. It builds connection with them. But it also is so powerful because then when we start asking them questions about what's hardest for them about tech, we just have a completely different kind of conversation than we would have had if we started with what's hardest for you or even maybe more frequently, Oh my gosh, you're so addicted to technology. It's ruining your whole generation.
1: And Emily, that's... I mean, all of our listeners can take a page out of your approach on a research way in homes and classrooms and in non-research settings, which is like, get at the good stuff, ask them about the good stuff, find out like what makes them happy or joyful or connected and not just about tech, but about everything. We're so quick to dive into the negative, but Carrie, tell me, yeah. like tell me how that shifts things. And also what you're hearing from the kids about what feels important, meaningful, valuable to them about tech? Well, I'll just, I mean, echo
0: that like
1: we stand to gain so
0: much when we like lead these conversations with real authentic curiosity, curiosity about the good stuff. First, as Emily Put so eloquently, like that just like sets the table for a much more open conversation, but then really for being open about the hard stuff. So that is really key. And then we can actually be there for them in the ways that they actually need. So when we do have that tap into that authentic curiosity, and when we do open that door, we hear so many things that are beneficial. Like we had the you know, fantastic opportunity to talk with teens during the initial part of the pandemic when many of them were at home doing homeschooling. And it was an incredible moment for our research. It transformed the book that we wrote because we recruited teens as youth advisors to us to make sense of this larger survey data that we collected. And just having that space to talk with them and to hear about the pandemic was a really difficult time. And we were all concerned about the screens and being tethered to the screens for the essentials like learning in addition to social. But we heard so much about how beneficial it was to be able to game with one another. But it wasn't just gaming. It was like during the gaming, opening up conversations where teens were sharing with teen boys were sharing their stresses with one another and and really gaining mutual support, creating Zoom study groups so that they could really focus when they were stuck in their bedrooms all day long, and they really needed that mutual support. So when we you know tap into curiosity and we invite the positives, that many of the things that we hear from youth, really surprise us. And we create different kinds of relationships with our kids about this topic. And it's so important.
2: Can you give an example of how a parent or an adult in a home or in a relationship with a kid can tap into that positive? Because we all know that, you know, it's been ingrained in us for years and years and years to... Demonize the screens. And we know, and we're going to get to there's some stuff that happens on screens that's not so great. So, do you have any pointers for how people can approach, can shift their mindset here and approach this with an open mind?
3: One of the kind of conversation keys that we love is this idea of asking over assuming. And we found that this was so important for us because so many of our own assumptions lead us to ask questions that aren't really questions when it comes to teens in tech. So, Some of the questions when we're in terms of how we ask and what we ask, we wanna prioritize open-ended questions instead of just yes, no questions, like in so many other cases. And we love questions that are really broad and simple, like what are the best parts about growing up with technology? Who are you following who's really inspiring you lately? Who are some of your favorite people to follow and why? Like, what are the things you do on your phone that make you feel best or that make you feel really alive or really understood? Like fill in kind of any of the positive emotions. These are really simple questions that are just kind of openers for starting to talk about what's great. And I feel like I need to just say- (laughs) I I gotta say, I'm
2: laughing because I'm imagining asking my kids these questions, which I do sometimes. And then they give me the answer and I'm like- how do you follow that person or what is it? So that's a follow along. Like you know the judgment goes over the side, right? And you just but go, go ahead. But I just don't.
3: lean in. I know I was in a conver- I was actually like in a kind of coaching conversation with a mom and a, a teen recently uh, talking about talking to her teen about tech and I was like what about asking her like who are your favorite influencers and she's like what's an influencer? <laughs> and I'm like okay, what about what about like something about TikTok and she was like I don't even get TikTok but Carrie and I actually have learned something really, really interesting, which is it does not matter if you do not know what Discord is or what a Discover page is. We don't actually need to be on top of all the latest trends in order to do our jobs well, which means you as a parent definitely don't need to be on top of it all to do your job well. And so often we get distracted by the new terminology. But actually, the feelings and what's important from an adolescent perspective is not new and different. And we can connect to so much of it if we just look beyond Snap Map and pay attention to, oh, this is a kid who's feeling really left out.
1: And it's an entry point because you can say like, I know I sound like such an idiot, but like, can you tell me what a Snap Map is? I know you tell me you, like, it's a way of disarming them. It's a way of letting them be the expert. It's a way of, as Wendy Mogul says, being enchanted with their enchantment without judgment And so it's almost better, frankly, if you don't pretend to know or be an expert, because then they get to know and they also get to laugh at you, which I'm sure you guys work with teens all the time. It's their favorite thing is to laugh at adults who are meant to be like in charge. And so I really love that. I love that. Just like, who are you following? Just very low key, I will say. That there are times, as you mentioned, Emily, where kids are following people and you are like shocked and concerned and you have to figure out how to both like be in conversation with your kid and also be like, I'm like not feeling great about that person, but you don't know how to talk to them about your feelings about, let's say, an Andrew Tate. I was going to say Andrew
2: Tate, but, but siblings are very effective there right? so Yes. That's, Sibling that's
1: mockery a, is powerful. <laughs>
0: very, very powerful. Just wanted to, well, jump in on a few things. So one is definitely, you know, if you see your kid following, you know, someone or watching a video that seems unsettling, it doesn't mean that they're not inside taking a critical lens and you don't know exactly what they're looking at. So I was really taken a couple of years ago when my older daughter, who's now 17, I think she was 13 or 14. And I saw her really intently looking at her Instagram feed. And there was there was a photograph of something that seemed a little unsettling. I can't remember exactly what it was. And I, and she looked really engrossed. And so, you know, I was concerned. And I asked her, you know, is everything okay, Ella? You know, what are you seeing? She's like, wow, I'm just, I'm so taken by the comment thread about sexism on this post. It's just riveting and so eye-opening for me. And I'm thinking Mm. all kinds of things. So she had seen something unsettling and other people had seen it as well. And then there was a whole exchange about it that was very learning rich for her and really reassuring in terms of validating her sense of discomfort with some of what she was seeing.
2: You know, it's so interesting that you use that example because first of all, I think it's a really important example that we, as the adults who are new to a lot of these platforms, these platforms, many of them are new, but as the adults in the scenario, we often, we catch a glimpse and we see what they see and we think they are viewing it through a certain lens and how wrong we are. So that's one thing. But the other thing, that always comes up, whether it's sort of in a setting of pediatric healthcare or frankly, listeners of the podcast, uh, people will talk about different platforms and different technologies. And they distinguish, the adults distinguish between platforms that keep information, keep images, keep text threads versus those that have those images and text threads disappear. And the big question that we get over and over again is, isn't disappearing text more dangerous because it doesn't really disappear or aren't disappearing images more dangerous because they don't really disappear. And I think really the question that they're asking is not about danger. It's about what you just brought up, which is if it disappears and it gets processed in a nanosecond and then it's gone, there's no space for exactly what you just described, which is an assessment of it, a conversation around it, that's what feels unsettling about those platforms to the adults who are trying to figure all of this out. And what, you know, that that learning, that teachable moment that you just described on most social media platforms, for sure, can happen when the images and the text remain. And it's just when things go away that
1: it's harder to process. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes.
2: Which is why we created the Umshort, Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myumla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer
1: That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator.
2: It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to com slash puberty, dot com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
2: Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save
1: $5. I want to shift gears now that we've firmly established that our judgmentalism about social media and technology needs to be checked (laughs) um, and that we need to ask kids curious, open-minded, non-judgmental questions about tech and social media and really understand what feels good to them, useful to them before we dive into what's concerning. But we do know there is tons of research studies here, studies in the UK, large-scale studies about the correlation between more time spent online and higher rates of anxiety, depression, lower body image. And I would love for you to, as the experts, to share with our listeners the distinction between causation and correlation and what we know about the data in terms of, is social media causing kids to be more anxious or more depressed or is there some correlation in these kids but it's not necessarily causal.
3: Yes, this is <laughs> this has been and is a big debate in our field. You're asking exactly the right question. We have to say first, Carrie and I we just talked for 5 minutes about all the positives, but Carrie and I do this work because we are really interested and worried about the stuff that's hard. And the reason I think that we started paying attention to positives is actually part of something that we've just seen so consistently, which, speaks to this broader correlation causation question, which is when we dig into the details of individual kids' experiences, we see so much more complexity that often gets lost when we're just looking at these big studies and we're just kind of trying to analyze the relationships. But let's just say the reality is there's, there's little doubt that mental health issues have increased in recent years among adolescents and especially among girls. And the timing pretty much coincides with the rise of smartphones and social media. So that's the correlation piece. The big question is Is one of those things causing the other? If so, what's the direction of the relationship? Or is there another variable? Is there something else going on that's kind of bolstering that relationship or explaining it, explaining what's going on? So I'll just give you an example because you're like, well, it seems pretty obvious if you look at the trend graphs, but it's possible, for example, that there are changes, some people would say, like there are changes that are happening, like COVID is one of them. Like there are big things that are happening in the world that are also contributing to rises at the exact same time that we're also using social media more. You know, that's probably true in some ways, but a lot of researchers have said, okay, but like really look at the timing. Like these trends were already taking shape. We already see them picking up before COVID started, for example. That's the like, is there something else going on here? Is there some like third variable that we should be looking at? Carrie and I also have been really interested in the idea, though, that it seems pretty clear that it's just, it's not just about main effects of screen time. And that actually, there might be ways that social media and the rise of technology are changing the whole way we interact with each other that isn't just about what happens when we're looking at our phone or how many minutes we spend on it, but is about growing up in a culture where For example, you know that anything you say and do might be recorded and then pulled up 10 years from now. And so you're wondering if there's really such a thing as being able to recover from a mistake. And so you live with this anxiety that anything I say now could ruin my future Or you have parents who are really distracted by their own phones. And so you're having a different kind of parenting, parent-child relationship than kids were years ago. So those are some examples of ways that technology could be the culprit without it just being about screen time. And then one more thing I just want to say here is that Carrie and I, I think the thing that's been most interesting to us is that what's hard about tech really varies for different kids. In some cases, it's about things like screen time and like regulating their habits, what technology is displacing or interfering with. In other cases, it's really not about the time. It's like even just a few minutes if they're looking at content that is like pro-anorexia content or pro-self-harm content or even more benign content that's just making them feel like why is everyone happier than me? Why does everyone have better friends than me? That can be really a problem. And in other cases, it's the way social anxieties and relationship issues from offline life get magnified and amplified online. So these are the kinds of differences that we have gotten obsessed by because when we actually sit down with an individual kid and try and understand how is your experience of technology positively or negatively impacting your mental health or both, we see that if we ignore these differences, these like kind of variables that are leading to more positive or more negative outcomes. We totally miss the mark in terms of then trying to come up with a solution or an intervention or a recommendation that would be helpful.
2: So can we break those two component parts down, the quantity piece and the quality piece? And can we just get a little specific for a second? Start with quantity, screen time. For adults who see the correlation between the amount of time a child is spending on a screen and how they feel or their behavior, do you have suggestions about how adults can be objective about how they're seeing it? How can they create that causation instead of just correlation math equation, right? Correlation is every time I see you on a screen, then you're mean to me, right? And causation is the screen changes your behavior. So you snap at me or you're short with me, right? So how can adults assess whether it's the screen and the time they're on the screen and what can they do in order to reduce the screen time to see if that impacts the dynamic in their house? So that's the, I want to start with quantity.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'll begin to try to address these really great questions, Cara. So I think that, you know, from a I love the second one about like seeing what happens when you reduce the screen time. And that ties into a lot of work that Emily and I have done. And Emily's really leading now on how we can support and empower young people with better digital habits and drawing on principles from habit science and thinking about the power of experiments, like time limited things to try and see what happens. I mean, a key thing there, and this isn't gonna surprise either of you, um, is that what you decide to try, the youth has a voice in. Like mm-hmm. the kid, the kid decides. It's not a handed down from the parent thing like you're gonna get rid of TikTok for a week, you're gonna only spend X number of hours a day on your phone. It has to be led by the youth and maybe even co-constructed then but you know it has to start with the habits that they care about the things that they worry about because when we do that authentic listing we actually hear from teens that they do worry about their digital habits they do see drawbacks from being like pulled into their screens so i think that that is one really important piece of like doing that experiment and seeing what happens Emily, I'm going to pass it to you because Carrie. I just want
1: to, I just want to interject and say, for parents or adults wondering how they have that conversation, taking on board your advice, Carrie, it might sound something like, "I notice that your behavior is really different after you've spent an hour on your phone, and I'm wondering what platforms are you on, and can you tell, like, are there certain ones that are affecting you more than others? Right, engage them." in the conversation, ask them and then say like, what do you think we could do about it? Because I don't want things to continue as they are. I'd love to hear from you what could change and what you might be interested in doing, right? And then it's not, as you say, Carrie, it's not a top-down approach. It's a, we're in partnership together. We're both recognizing that something isn't working here. I don't have the answer because I'm not on TikTok, And you are, so I'd love to hear from you. Like, what could we, is it less time? Is it not being on the platform? Like, tell me what you think makes sense. And then as you say, Carrie, it's like, then you're in conversation with them.
2: And Vanessa, I'm I'm gonna dial that back for parents who are giving their kids access to devices. You know, they just gave their kid a phone. They just got their kid an iPad. A lot of parents will reach out to us and say, Now what? My kid's on it all the time on all these platforms. And our advice is always take the do-over. You can say, I gave you this thing. It has too much on it. I'm rethinking it. Let's pull it off. But exactly to this point, the kids have to be on board with that. Otherwise, it can turn into a battle. And there are ways to say that too. So at the very front end, not for the kid who's sort of a seasoned user, but the kid who's just starting... There's a way to say, so tell me of all the platforms that are already on the phone I gave you 12 hours ago, You know <laughs> which I did it wrong. I take responsibility for that. We're going to take off all but one because I'm not ready for this. And I don't think you're ready for this. Can you help me choose which one? And the one that you're on, here are the parameters that we're going to set in place or whatever it is that, again, brings the kid into the decision. It's going to be different in every home.
1: Emily, I... I want to give you a scenario in the context of this conversation, okay? Okay, I'm ready. So lest you imagine that my calm and measured approach on the podcast is what I actually do in my own home and have done for the last two decades, don't be fooled. I have completely blown it for at least a decade and a half in terms of my kids and technology. And it sounds something like, let's see if anyone, this sounds familiar to anyone, I'm gonna throw that goddamn iPad out the window and shatter it into a thousand pieces. Or that's it, the phone is gone for the next year, no more phone. Or I hate that Xbox so much, I'm gonna stomp on it as many times as it takes to shatter, it. right? Like those are the actual things that are said in my house. So Emily, I'm staring at my adolescent and I have just berated them for their use of technology, the way they spoke to me, the way they're hunched over their phone, the way they didn't speak to me at all because they were ignoring me. I'm like up here. My kid is like shrinking away from me. I'm at the end of my rope. What do I do? You guys talk about digital agency. You talk about giving kids power and knowledge and all of that. How the hell do I get there from where I am in this in this okay, critical well, moment? Okay, Vanessa, let me be honest.
3: I'm pretty sure I said that iPad line yesterday. I was like ready to pull the car over and it out the window. I was like, this is not working. My kid is so dysregulated. (laughs) So Carrie and I often say there's, there's a gap between theory and practice and knowing the research doesn't always translate into actually being able to do it perfectly all the time. Come sit by me. Come sit by me. We'll scream with them together. Struggle. So I'll tell you what we have found and what we tried to do and what I tried to do yesterday. And after I was, Yeah, after I was pretty close to really hurling that iPad out the window. Oh, my gosh. So Carrie and I, one of the things that's been really interesting to us is that kids for sure need boundaries around tech, especially younger adolescents. And it's helpful to just acknowledge tech companies are using design features that play and honestly prey on developmental sensitivities that kids have. There are so many smart things that they are doing to keep us tethered to our screens. They have removed friction from the experience like left and right. So we were just talking on our team yesterday about like the 2008 version of social media where you would just like reach the end of new content and there was nothing more. And all of a sudden, the tech companies figured out that if they added infinite scroll and autoplay so that there was just always new content coming, that you would spend longer on the app. And we are all, I mean, I am for sure vulnerable to these design tricks, but kids especially so because we know that their self-regulation is still developing. So they have this intention that's not always mapped onto what, (laughs) what necessarily they're doing on their screens. The power in recognizing that is that it shifts us into what can be an us and them battle against this design and against this technology instead of an us versus them fight <laughs> fight over the technology. And I think that's really helpful. So it's saying like, I mean, maybe not in the heat of the moment, but being like, okay. This technology is really hard for all of us to navigate. Like me too, myself included. We all need boundaries. I just did actually overbreak an experiment, and I love that you we that we brought up experiments because actually that's one of the ways we start to move from inferences about correlation to causation is by in science is by running experiments, and in our own houses, it's that's such a powerful way of us learning what's going on and also of getting buy-in because an experiment is like we'll just try it for a week. And if it doesn't make a difference, we'll go back to how things are are happening now. I think being able to say like, okay, this is really hard. I did this experiment over break. I was like, I'm spending more time on Instagram than I want to be spending. Carrie and I are always talking to teens about adding more friction, like setting screen time limits for yourself. And I had just gotten interviewed by a teen who was like, you should set an Instagram limit for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he talked me through, we we did it together. We set it up while I was on the, while I was on zoom with him and I set an Instagram limit. And what's so cool about it is I get like a five minute warning when I have five minutes left for the day. And it just reminds me of my intention. And then when my time is up, it's like, your time is up. And then on mine, it says like, do you want to ignore this for one minute? Ignore it for the rest of the day or stop using the app and I've kind of done all of those at different points in time but it's amazing how actually just reintroducing some friction into the experience that Instagram has tried to make or and not just Instagram you know all the social media have tried to make so frictionless is really empowering and I'm like I feel like I'm getting more digital agency I'm getting more aligned with the things I want around my tech use.
2: It's so amazing you say that because I did that with my kids where I said to them parental controls at a certain age are not about parents They're about you taking agency and exactly that. And I said to my teenagers, you set your own parental controls. You know the password. Set your time limits. And then you have to choose to override the alert that says you're done for the day, which is just a matter of recognizing the choice. It doesn't work every day, but it made a big difference in the grand scheme of things. The other piece of what you said, makes me laugh is when I was first in practice, you know, I always talk to kids about what they eat, what they drink and blah, 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 and soda. And I mean, I did this whole pitch with this one kid about, you know, you shouldn't have soda and this, that, and the other. And as she was walking from the exam room down the hallway, she looked into my office and saw a Diet Coke on my desk. (laughs) And she went back into the exam room, met me in the exam room and looked at me. And this was, Close to 25 years ago, and said to me, I'll give it up if you give it up. And I thought, that is amazing. Of course, I gave it up that day. I made a deal with her. But when kids feel the agency and they exert that agency and sort of share it with you, it is very powerful. And I think it's a great strategy to harness some of these things around tech in your own home. Like everything we preach to kids. Applies to us
0: absolutely. absolutely.
2: And they see the
3: hypocrisy on the flip side, right? They call totally. it out That's like that was one of the big that was one of our big kind of guilt moments as as parents, too. I think when we were looking at the data was just how many kids were like, My parents told me to get off my phone at the dinner table, but they're While on they're their on phone, the phone. <laughs> or by the way, my parents are like be reading my tech habits as being so problematic. but like they're texting at a traffic light. And, Carrie and I were like, oh man, yeah, they really see everything that we (laughs) did.
0: They do. And totally. But but if we can, if we can like name out loud like the pulls that we feel, like Emily was saying before, it's hard for all of us, it's harder for teens but if we may we normalize the stress and the pull and that we all have to work on these things and we all get in on designing experiments and putting our own limits i car I love that you put the agency in your kids' hands like you have that you have the passcode you set up the limits and then they are you know you're really building that sense of intentionality
2: but they weren't 12. And I think that's, maybe that's where we land this part of our conversation, because we're going to have a second conversation, (laughs) um, which people should stay tuned for. But I think this is the perfect place to land, which is all of the things that we're talking about now, they're applicable to different homes in different settings and at different times, but the age of a child should be taken into account. And so... Some of the things that we're talking about are really relevant to a 15, 16, 17-year-old in a way that they are not to an 11 or 12-year-old. And with the guardrails that younger kids not just need, but want in terms of how they use screens are extraordinarily important. And Vanessa, to your question about mental health, I think one of the places that's going to be really interesting to see the research go is connecting the guardrails, those limits that people set, that adults set, and the impact on mental health. Because what we know in the world of pediatrics and in the world of parenting is that kids love limits. They may not tell you they love limits, but limits make them feel safe.
1: Thank you guys so much. I've learned so much from behind their screens and from being in conversation with you both. It's I feel so supported and connected by you both in this ongoing challenge.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for having us.
2: Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.